Christianity is not an occupation. <laughs> it's not something that's just to be a part of your life, like your tennis membership, or your lodge membership, your gym membership. It's intended to inhabit our lives at every level, every floor, every room. And as I, I'm just going to admit it, as I get older, I'm going to be honest with you, doctrines are very important, but to me they come second. If you don't know Jesus, you could be the best theologian, but you just have reservations and destruction. God has been, pray for me, God has been working in me and on me. Because I keep asking the question, if I only had one thing to take out of this world, what would it be? And I recognize I didn't bring anything in it. So I can't take anything out except my character. So I want to just really spend some time this morning talking about making room, making room. Bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, loving Lord, how much junk is in our house? <laughs> Lord, have mercy. We keep people out of our homes because it's just like our lives. Sometimes stuff is in there that has lost value. It just sits around, gathers dusk year after year. And thereby it makes it difficult for Jesus to fit because just no room for him. Lord Jesus, today take this message and help us to take spiritual inventory as to why more Jesus is not in us. Speak to your people through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We went through a, a refurbishing where we live. Took all the books off our bookshelf. They're in boxes. Lots of boxes. Took junk from under the cabinets. They're in boxes. Lots of boxes. You know, until you do that, you don't realize how much stuff you really don't need. Can I get a witness? Amen. We got junk. I'm so glad that when Jesus comes back, he ain't taking our books with us and our junk. You pack it in boxes and tape it up and you label it and forget it. And you just think to yourself, do I need to put that back in the shelf for 10 more years? just to look at it when I walk into the house. And so many of us are like that. We got junk in our lives. And it's not until the Lord comes in and refurbishes us, follow me today, do we realize how much stuff we don't really need. The amount of books you have or don't have don't change your prayer life. The amount of stuff in your basement 
Help me, Lord, today. It's not going to help your relationship with Christ become any stronger. You could have one pair of shoes or 135 like some of our church members. It's not going to make you walk with Jesus any better. So today I want to just talk to you. I might preach somewhere in the sermon, but I want to just talk to you about making room. Here we are about to enter the 20th year of our time here at Thompsonville. And things are changing in me. I just, I like evangelism. I like to be able to prove the validity of the Sabbath and the reason why people don't die and go straight to heaven. But all of a sudden, that's taken second and third and fourth seat because I just want to know Jesus. I want to know. I just want to know he's in me. I care that he was in the manger, but I want him to be in me. I could be more loving, kind, compassionate, real. I don't want to be known as a good theologian. I want to be known as a Christian. And uh, I didn't plan this. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. I want to be accused of being good and nice to people. Not because I have any good in me, but because I want Jesus to work it out through me. And you know, when we stand in the judgment, the Lord's not going to say, and the Lord's not going to ask me, well, you know, how many evangelistic series did you, did you conduct? <laughs> That's not going to help at all. Because salvation is just the most beautiful gift that ever came our way. So today, let's walk through this story that has often been reserved for December, when in fact it should be a January story or a February story. It should be a spring story or a summer story, a story that could be told any time of the year. Because whether you know it or not, Jesus wants to move in every day. He wants a room every day. It's funny, Jesus didn't, he didn't come to, he doesn't want to live in a Hyatt Hotel. He wants to live in you and me. He doesn't want a, he doesn't want a posturepedic mattress, he wants our hearts. He doesn't want our cars, he wants our lives. Because all that stuff that shines and we wash and we keep it clean and we put it in the garage, We're just going to see it go up in flames as we ascend to glory. So don't let that define your life. Pray that Jesus could be the definition of your life. Who is that young man? He seemed to be so nice. The greatest compliment you can get is not how good you sing or how good you speak or how much you accomplish, but that somebody sees Jesus in your life. When that happens, they want to hear what you say about the Sabbath. 
Because the Sabbath is no longer a day, but a relationship that happens every day and comes to the fulfillment on Sabbath morning. It's like, I can't wait to spend the day with Jesus because I've been spending all week with him. So this morning, I keep saying that it's going to get to this afternoon. So this morning, walk with me through this wonderful story. Beginning in Luke chapter 2, we're going to spend a lot of our time there. Lay some foundation. And as you study the Bible, you find out even the smallest nuance has a big meaning behind it. Verse 6. The foundation is being laid for this invitation to come back to where we can best find our identity. And in response to the edict put out by Caesar Augustus, verse 6 brings us into the setting where Joseph and Mary decides, as a citizen, they need to respond to going back. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete, completed for her to be delivered. I just want to say something. You missed that. That, to me, is probably one of the most powerful texts in this Bible, in this story. Notice, Jesus wasn't being delivered. She was being delivered. Come on, help me out. <laughs> it starts out with language that when God opens your eyes, you see it differently. See, women deliver babies but in this case, the baby delivered the woman. The days were complete for her to be delivered. Oh, I, wish you, I wish you caught that. I think you caught it so much as stunned, you kind of shut your amen down. Because that's what happened. When, when Jesus came out, Mary got delivered. Because Jesus always was. He just decided, I needed a back door to get into this place called earth. So Mary, would you be the door? I need to find a way into humanity. I need to get in. And when I get in, I promise you'll get out. <laughs> That's rich. She had to let Jesus in so that Jesus can eventually get her out. Let's close with prayer. I mean, that's the whole gospel. Jesus came in so we can get out. When the day comes for you to be delivered, you'll understand the impact of that on Mary's life. She can't deliver Jesus. How do you deliver a nuclear reactor? How do you build a building that has but one foundation, and he is it? You don't deliver somebody who spends his life creating things to create you? How do you deliver the one that put together the DNA to make you exist? How do you deliver somebody who has no dimensions, that time cannot define, that lawyers cannot even defend? Who do you, how do you deliver somebody who just speaks and Life happens. 
Then verse 7 gets even deeper. She brought forth her what? Firstborn. Why? Because he is the first. He is, that was the alpha. He could not be her second child. He had to be her first. Come on, let me talk to you today. Unless Jesus is our first, he won't settle to be our second. He is not the beta. He's the alpha. He was her firstborn child. Even that itself has a spiritual connotation to remind us that Jesus doesn't want second place in our lives. He doesn't want to be the, the child that eventually shows up in our lives. He wants to be the first one that shows up so that everything that comes after us can have the best foundation. The first one, not the beta and the omega, the alpha and the omega. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. We have to embrace Jesus. She embraced her child. How many of us embrace Christ? She didn't let the nurses wrap him. That's why Jesus was not born in a hospital. Because see, in those connotations, in those settings, the nurse wraps the child and delivers him to you. But in this case, Mary wrapped the child and delivered him to us. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. She laid him in a manger. And the sad reality was there was no room for them in the inn. You see, in order to appreciate what Jesus does for us, we must first demonstrate what Jesus has done in us. In us. I used to think that when I was a young man, I, was, I would get high on just staying up. And I speak about spiritual high. There's a spiritual high that could distract you. You can get spiritually high on being able to pr prove certain theological points. You can get spiritually proud to know that your argument really works. Your argument could work, but your life could be broken. You could be the best person. Oh, you should hear that concept that he came up with. Oh, concepts can't change us. Only the Christ living in us can affect a change. So as I'm getting older, this stuff is, this God is moving stuff around in me. That's saying to me, yeah, you got, you, you could write lessons and you know graphic design and you could do video editing and build websites. That's great, but ain't not a one of them going to get you to heaven. I need room in your life. I need room in my, when we, uh, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, when you go on camping trips and you're out there for like two weeks, you come home and you walk in the house and say, where did all this junk come from? Don't even need it. Christ wants to demonstrate what's happening in us. So, so this message title, Making Room, is centered on the secret of thriving Christianity. How many of you, I don't ask questions, but I need to ask, how many of you want a thriving Christianity? I mean, not a, you want a Lamborghini Christianity. You don't want a used car Christianity. You don't want a bald tire Christianity, that, a life with no grip in it. You don't, you don't want your Christianity to be sliding all over the road. You want those wide V-rated tires. Come on, somebody, help me out. You want those tires that when your Christianity speeds up, you don't lose traction. You're still on your way, breaking through the wind of the trials of life. It's a good thing to be a Christian and know it. 
But it's a better thing to be a Christian and show it. So every time things happen, it just I say, God, thank you for allowing a, just a little glimpse of the candle called Christ to shine out in my words. I want to, I want to just challenge you, 2023, a couple of weeks away, but just think about this for a moment. You know, forests are dark at night. And you'll never appreciate the beauty of Christ until you realize that a tiny little wax candle that can barely fit in your hand can banish all the darkness of a forest. That forest, the darkness of that forest, can't hide your candle, Curtis. In all that darkness, somebody, you light that candle, somebody will say, there's a light. In this dark world, God wants a candle. And that's what you are. You're not a member. You're a candle. Let your light so shine. Not just in your home, but before your family. Before those people that don't believe like you believe. Before the folk that don't like you. Let your light shine. People that don't agree with you, let your light shine. People that rub you wrong, let your light shine. You know, I, I realize it doesn't matter who's at a birthday party, candles still shine. Help me. Give, me. give me an angry kid at the birthday party. Candles are going to still be lit. <laughs> right? So don't let your light be modified by what's around you. If God has designed you to shine, what are you going to do? Shine. Because God is working in there. He's the wick. He's the source of all that power. So as we walk through the story today, if you think that waiting 364 days for Christmas is a long time to wait, just wait for 4,000 years for Jesus to show up. The Bible said, Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let me grab those two things very quickly. That's why the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes in keeping the commandments of God. We are a woman that still wants to adhere to God's law. You can't be a woman that delivers, that delivers Christ and have an attitude about the law. Jesus did not want to be born just through a woman, but he wanted to be born in the context of everything he tells us to honor. Honor my law. We serve a law-abiding God. Can you say amen? So that's why he was born through a woman, born under the law. He didn't come to say the law is a bad thing. He came to show us how to live in harmony with it. And so when a church, quote-unquote, a spiritual woman, when a church has an issue with the law of God, Christ can't be born in that setting. Because you can't be what Christ wants you to be if you make the law your adversary. Sin is our adversary. Satan is our adversary. Never make God's law your adversary. When we talk about how long it took for Jesus to get here, humanity was powerless to expedite the Savior's arrival. Jesus landed on time. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus took out his earthbound itinerary and said, so where should I go? Hmm. Bethlehem, Nazareth, Judea. Hey, Gabriel, why don't you go ahead and prepare the way? Gotcha. 
let's see, who's on our list as the entrance? Uh, Roberta? Nah. Susie? Nah. She was pretty good. Uh, Jennifer? Nah. Mary? Yeah. Mary. Hmm. What do you think, Dad? Mary. That's how I think. Pray for me. <laughs> so you guys think, I think movie. I don't think that, that it just happened. I think that heaven chose Mary. Didn't choose, didn't choose Jennifer. Didn't choose Rebecca, chose Mary. Now I know Rebecca wished she was the mother of Jesus. Every woman in the Jewish economy, when they had a boy, they were hoping that that was the Christ. But Jesus came on time. He came, he came. And, and as we read the Bible, when the Bible says it came to pass in those days, what it meant as we read that story in, in the first scripture reading, when it came to pass in those days, it meant that those days were after the birth of John the Baptist. In those days. John preceded Jesus, yet Jesus was before John. So at the predetermined hour, Jesus pulled out his earthbound itinerary and he did not come down here in thunderous applause. So if you want to find anything secret, it's in the first advent of Christ, not the second. <laughs> How about that? It was a secret entrance, not a secret rapture. He came. He ain't coming back that way. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. When Jesus comes a second time, Ricky, he's not coming back to hide behind no bushes. He's coming back to show the world, I'm here. But he came the first time. And when you break that down, the one who inhabited eternity stepped into time. He laid aside his royal robe in favor of a manger. He laid aside his royal throne in favor of a manger. He laid aside his royal robe in favor of the human flesh that had been marred by 4,000 years of sin. He came when things were at their lowest. He traded the praise of angels for the plotting of demons. But he came because he loved us. He came to save us. So when Isaiah the prophet unfolded the scroll that we read today, this was, this was the prediction that even all of the combined forces of darkness could not prevent. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I'm glad for that. We only have one God. I am God and there is none like me. Let me just pause there. God has given me so much, i got to weed this out. They can make the most amazing inventions. They're not God. I read an article late recently that Elon Musk went to buy the FBI. <laughs> Somebody need to give him some Bengay and smell it. Brother need to wake up. You can have so much money you think yourself is powerful. You can't buy salvation. It's a gift. Amen, somebody. Amen. That way, the poorest of the poor 
can be where the wealthiest of the wealthy can inhabit. But we're not getting in there because we have stuff. We're getting in there because of what Jesus has done. So this prediction is, there's nobody like me. So I'm going to put this together. Isaiah, you declare it, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And I love this part, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. There's nothing that the forces of darkness can do to stop God from accomplishing his mission. So when I, when, I, when I hear about people that are religious or political, I don't really care anymore. Because I don't care what is in the agenda of any party. God's going to do his pleasure. No matter how bad it looks, God is going to do his pleasure. He established his church, and he's going to bring us through no matter how bad we get. Come on, say amen. Some people think that it's their job to fix the church. Some external ministries think it's their job to expose the church. God has not given any man any responsibility to fix his church. It's God's church. I will do all my pleasure. So when your life is not where God wants it to be, God will fix it. When his church is not where he wants it to be, God will fix it. I have a sermon coming up that's based on Ezekiel chapter 25. I was sharing that with my Sabbath school panel this week. How the Lord meted out his judgment on Moab and Edom and Philistia. All these nations that laughed at the condition that God people had sunk to. There's some folk that are outside of Adventism that laugh at the junk that happens inside the church sometimes. And they say, are those the people that preach about the commandments and the Sabbath? Yeah, they still got stuff in their lives. And they want us to join their church. When, the, when Edom and Ammon and Philistia started mocking the condition of God's people, the Lord said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's my job to fix my folk, not yours. And so I'm really taking a different viewpoint when I see these guys on, on, on YouTube talking about all the sins of the church and all the problems in the Adventist church. God is able to do all of his pleasure and even fix us, bring us from our lowest to our highest because God can do what no human can ever accomplish. He made us out of dirt. If he could make me out of dirt, he can, prevent, he can present me before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And how would he do that? Present you faultless. One day, we're going to stand before God faultless. Oh, I forgot to hit my timer. I don't know how long I was preaching. Stop counting. Half hour already? Okay. Well, I have some time left. Long before this passage was given into Isaiah's mind, what amazes me, declaring the end from the beginning, let's work it out. Here we are back in Genesis. Adam and Eve blew it, stepped into the mess of their own decisions. It got colder after sin than it was before sin. That's why I understand Joey don't like cold. It's okay, Joey. It wasn't supposed to be this way. You like warm weather, move to Singapore. It's hot all the time. Africa. Certain parts of it. Way back in Genesis... When the, when the world fell apart, Jesus said to, to, to Adam and Eve, 
I'm going to crush his head. My heel might get bruised in the process, but I'm telling you, that demon that lied to you, I am going to crush his head. Amen, somebody? So the devil ain't as bad as he'd like to act up to be. I'm going to crush his head. That's why he's coming after us so hard. Because he don't like the fact that our daddy is going to crush his head. So I don't need anybody to defend me because my father has already told me, I saw what he did to you. I saw what he made you do. I saw what happened when you yielded your life to him. John, I'm going to crush his head for what he did to you. So they start to unroll this carpet called time, and each of the characters in the Bible starts stepping in. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you got Job, Enoch, all those characters from the flood, post-flood, you know, the patriarchal age, the time, the sojourn in Egypt, coming out the, 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 the wilderness journey, entering into Jericho, entering into Canaan. It all starts unfolding. The prophets and the kings start putting it all together. David makes a mess of his life. Solomon loses his way. You know, Jehoshaphat and, and Asaph and all these other kings and Ahab, it's all falling apart. And all through that whole time, the devil is going from one leader that God chose to the other. And just when we think, Ah, he's going to be the one to bring about righteousness. He messes up. And what God was showing us that there's no human vessel that can accomplish what divinity alone can accomplish. So I honor, I look back at the patriarchs and the prophets and I say, wow, wonderful men. But, I, but I'm at the point in life where I don't want to be like Abraham. I want to be like Jesus. Because we say Abraham, Father Abraham had many. Many sons had father. Yeah, he did. But he should have been patient. That's another sermon. The census. Let's walk to the census. Long before the journey of Jesus began, this was ordained. Luke 2 verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census, verse 2, first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, some translations say taxed, others say registered. That's why the word census is included in verse 2, because in the census, both happen. They get taxed and they get registered. You see, the census in those days was not just to determine their roots but also to register their property. I want you to follow me today. So here's the point. No matter where you are, no matter where they were, no matter what they owned, when the census was called for, the census happened so that they had to go back to the place of their lineage. You see, it's important where you're from, but more important than that was their ancestral, their ancestral uh, distinction, their lineage. They had to go back to the place of their lineage. So verse 3 brings that into, into sharp focus. They went back to the place of their lineage. Look at verse 3 of Luke chapter 2. So all went to be registered, everyone to his what? To his own city. So Mary and Joseph lived in their own city in Nazareth, but they had to go back to the place of their lineage. And according to some customs, Caesar Augustus not only registered them by city, but by lineage. 
That's why we find in Matthew 1 these words. Look at this. Verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David until the captive, captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are how many generations? 14 generations. The Bible has a lineage that you can follow. If you don't believe it, spend some time and read First Chronicles if you can make it through it. You think Tertullius is tough. You read First Chronicles. <laughs> that will mess you up for a long time. So what this is saying is where you lived is not as irrelevant as where you're from. This was calling them to go back to the place of their lineage, to be identified. We pick the story up in verse 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. My wife and I were there. Ron was there. Remember that? Christmas Day, we were in Bethlehem. And Ron found a gift named Donna. Because he was, here's why he went there, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So, when you think about this journey, you know, to travel while Mary is near delivery means that the census wasn't optional. They had to go. They had to go. What did I say? They had to go. It wasn't optional. It was inconvenient. It's like when you get that paper in the mail that says you have to serve jury duty. So, oh, I'm going on vacation Monday. No, you're going to be a juror on Monday. Unless you get omitted, it's against the law to not show up for jury duty. In this case, it was not optional. Some people suggest that Mary intentionally went to Bethlehem because she understood the prophecies, but that wasn't the case. Because when you think of the distance to travel, the mode of travel, and the lateness of her pregnancy, ladies, let me ask you, guys, don't say anything. How many of you would get on the back of a donkey and go 70 miles from valley to 2,550 feet elevation in the ninth month of your pregnancy just because you want to go. <laughs> that don't make any sense. So this 70-mile this journey was an inconvenient journey for Mary. And when you look at the story, God chose for a pregnant woman near delivery to travel to Bethlehem. The closer we get to revealing the Christ being born in us, the more difficult our journey gets. I want you to grab that today. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching yet, just talking to you. Why did the Lord allow that census to happen at that point. I'm sure Joseph and Mary probably said, now? Why now? Why not when I was just pregnant? Why now? When we get close to the time that Christ in us is about to be delivered, the journey gets difficult. 
Because at that point, you can't reverse the pregnancy. The child is there. He's not going anywhere. And so this, this thing that seems to be inconvenient is a reality that you are no longer in control when Christ is being born in you. But here's the beautiful part of the story, which is not in the Scriptures, but I want to add this because I studied the geology. When Jesus is being born in you, one of the reasons why Mary's journey took her from the valley of Nazareth to the 2,550-foot summit of the city of David is because when Christ is in your life, your life is going up. It doesn't leave you in the valley. Your life is being elevated. It may seem difficult in the journey, but if you follow the Lord, he'll meet you in the valley and take your life to heights that you have never known before. That's why she was going up. So here's my point. When your life seems challenging and your journey seems rough, you are on a divine mission. There is a divine purpose. There was a divine purpose. Mary had to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, because according to the prophet Isaiah, that's where he was to be born. According to Micah, read all those things of the Old Testament prophets. They knew, and God was working out his divine providence. Did not he say, I will do all my pleasures? He was not manipulating. He was guiding. God does not manipulate us. God guides us. Say amen. So don't think about it as manipulation, but sometimes our journey is difficult, and it's because of a divine appointment. I want to say that again. When you think that something is happening in your life that seems difficult, it could be the very moment, the very thing that God has appointed to take place in your life. It is a divine appointment. Nothing about humanity clashing with divinity is comfortable. When humanity clashes with divinity, divinity will make it appear to you as, as though it's difficult. It's called the inconvenience of divinity. And so many of us miss God's plans for our lives because we don't understand that to embrace the Christ in us is not convenient. It means the consummation of who we are. Mothers, you know that. Have that baby being born, you're doing stuff you don't want to do, but that baby's in charge. It's the divine inconvenience. The inconvenience of divinity means you are on your way and the greatest blessing of your life is about to be revealed to the world. I've been learning that the hard way. Yeah, there have been some inconveniences in my life, but I've been learning that God says to me, you don't worry about the inconveniences, let me handle that. But if you follow me, if you follow my destiny, if you follow my direction, if you just give way to my word, I will take your life from the valley to heights you've never known. But here's the point. Mary wasn't on the journey to go up to heights. She was on the journey because God appointed that journey. Let me make application. Don't follow God's plan because you're aiming to be higher than you were. Follow God's plan because he determines where you end up. Right? Some people say, if I follow God's plan, maybe I'll be very well known. That's the wrong reason to follow God's plan. God may say, I need you to be in the valley to cut grass, and somebody else I'm going to put on the mountain. If that's where God puts you, that's where you need to be content. God chose Mary because he could trust her with altitude. He preserved the child in her. 
So Mary was taken from the Judean Valley to the highest elevation because every journey with Jesus takes us higher than we were before. That's how it happens. And this census was a good thing because this census, <laughs> I got I to add this and uh, bear with me. I'm glad that the census happened before Jesus was born. Now, now you're going to wonder why. Because the census required that people go to the place of their lineage. Am I right? All right. If the census happened after Jesus was born, look up here a moment. Are you guys still digesting from last night? If the census happened, Tracy, after Jesus was born, and Jesus had to return to the place of his lineage. Wait. Come on, Dara, hold on. He would have taken Mary and Joseph to heaven. Amen. Come on, you get it? So the Lord, or is it? So the Lord allowed this to happen before he was born because the census was not optional. That's why David the psalmist wrote this beautiful passage in Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Say it with me. Thou art God. God in mercy to Mary and Joseph said, I need to have this census before Jesus is born because if Jesus was born, he would have taken them to his birthplace. Eternity. And just to make it record clear, Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. He always is. Mary and Joseph would have said, where are we? Oh, this is where I'm from. You're from the city of David? This is my region. Those are my angels. That's all mine. God does things in an amazing way. That's what the psalmist David said in Psalm 93 and verse 2. Your throne is established from old. You are from where? Everlasting. You see, we cannot comprehend. It's hard for us to comprehend that God would want to send his son down here. So let me spend a little time in the psalmist's words. Psalms 8, verses 1, and then verses 3 to 4. Oh, Lord, our Lord, let's say this together, how Excellent is your name in all the earth. Who have set your glory above the heavens? When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? Now, now, Absorb that passage and now say to yourself, the baby that was in her did that. This blows me away. His fingers inside of Mary are being formed, but he had fingers before his fingers were being formed. He was busy putting worlds together, creating stuff. And yet now he comes in to take down this, take on this lowly process, now he has human fingers that are made after the flesh of fallen Adam. 
being formed in humanity. And he's down here. I'm always amazed when I think about what God has done, all that he's created, and I always say to myself, how could people deny the existence of God when we look at the world around us? We are thousands of years removed from perfection, but there's so much of God finger, God's fingerprints are still all around us. That's why I love it in the, in the book, Christ, in uh, Steps to Christ, one of the very first things that Ellen White does, and I know that Ron knows this well, he reads that book all the time. She reveals the love of God in creation. In seasons, whether cold or warm, God's fingerprints are still there. This week I saw birds flying over our house because God had a place for them where it was a lot warmer. You think that's coincidental? No, that's divine. Birds don't have the sense to say, we need warmer weather. God sets up in the hearts and minds of humanity and his creation. The flowers hide themselves in the winter. We think of death until they open their eyes in the summer or in the spring. The trees look like they are barren and need to be cut down because they've, all their leaves have dropped off, only to realize that life was still hidden within the bark of those trees and the limbs of those trees. Only God can do that. You've got to be at the place where you just want to ignore the fact that divinity is real. And I believe one of the reasons why people ignore God is this natural resistance to admitting that he exists because admitting that God exists would also say, I need to order my life in harmony with a divine principle. So if I, so if, so if I say the Bible's written by men, then I don't need to follow what men wrote. But if I say God is the author of that book, then I'm now at a place where I have a higher level of accountability. And personally, I don't believe that anybody doesn't believe in God. I believe that people choose not to believe in God. Because Romans chapter 1 says, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And it says, Although they knew God, they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. But they are without excuse. On the day of reckoning, there's going to be no atheists that I did not know about God. That's why when you look at Mary and Joseph and how they ended up in Bethlehem, they were humble enough to allow divine providence to direct their steps. And what I'm saying for the new year, to find, to have room in your life, we've got to be humble enough to allow divine providence to order our steps. He'll do that. But he'll not take us where our life is going to be worse. He'll take us where our life is going to be better. Now, I'm not talking about geographical. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. God wants our lives to be better. And you know what? If I didn't believe that my life could be better in 2023 than it is in 2022, then this thing called Christianity is of no value. I believe that every day we can be better than the day before. What about you? Aim high. Press toward the mark for the prize of your upward call. Not just, God doesn't call us to stay on this plane called mediocre. We're not some oscilloscope that just breaks and flatlines at Christianity and says that's good enough. Every day we can get higher than the day before. That's why David the psalmist said these words in Psalm 37 verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. When you are willing to follow God, how or where God leads does not matter. How or what God does in your life does not matter. You'll never follow God to the detriment of your life. You'll always follow God to the blessing of your life. And that's why when they got there, something happened. Look at verse 6 of Luke chapter 2. Hmm. So it was that while they were there, 
the days were completed for her to be delivered. Only the Lord knows how long our journey is going to be. But sooner or later, Darrell, whatever God's plan is for you being here, one day you can look back and say, now I get it. When we, when we moved to St. Louis, that was crazy. But it was not until we sat on the edge of our bed one day and said, Lord, you knew this was not going to work. Why did you even bring us to St. Louis when we had a thriving church in California? Why, would, why are we here? To get the phone call two days later, never putting it on. I don't even know if Facebook existed at that time. Never putting it out on the Internet, never putting out letters, never making phone calls. Two days later, got a call from Danny, who I didn't really know that well, and said, we want to invite you to come to Illinois. The steps of a righteous person is ordered by the Lord because he delights in his ways. You want your life to be at peace? When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So they get there, they get to Bethlehem, and she delivers this child. And the blessing that was foreordained before Mary was even in existence happened at the time that divinity planned for it to come into fulfillment. What a fulfillment. What a message to the world. Matthew 1 and verse 21. Look at the fulfillment. Here it is. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name together. Jesus. What will he do? He will save us from our sins. Has he done that for you? Is Christ saving you from your sins? Is Christ making a difference in your life? He will save his people from their sins. And this was not just a, an entrance of Jesus. This was a divine transaction. Look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is what, friends? God with us. You see, God saw the plight of humanity as it became. And then what he did is he said, they can never be anything other than they are. That's why it's so ridiculous to try to say to a family member who doesn't know Jesus, you know better. They may know better intellectually, but all of us, we are all incapable of any change in our lives unless Christ is in our lives. We can't even figure this thing out. You can't, even put your, you can't even put your spiritual plan on paper and say, here's what I'm going to be by February of 2023. You can't even do that. Because the only way that your life is transformed is when God is making the changes in your life. Amen, somebody? Amen. Look at the way that Ellen White puts this in Desire of Ages. She talks about what happened. She talks about how dark the world was. And one of the reasons why Jesus came, Desire of Ages. Look at this quotation, very powerful. Page 32, paragraph 2. At this time, speaking about the time that Jesus arrived, the systems of heathenism were losing their hold upon the people. I believe the same is happening today. I believe that there are some people that want something better than the world has offered thus far. And they're looking. Men were weary of pageant and fable. There are some people getting sick and tired of just surface religion. Some of you are here for that reason. They longed for a religion that could satisfy the heart. While the light of truth seemed to have departed from among men, there were souls who were looking for light. 
and who were filled with perplexity and sorrow. They were thirsting for a knowledge of the living God, for some assurance of life beyond the grave. You know, I don't want to put your business out there, Hannah, but I love the testimony you gave in Sabbath school today about your mom and dad's conversion, both raised Catholics. And when her, when her dad came to the knowledge of the truth, not, I'm telling you a testimony real briefly. Thank you for it. It really made a difference in our Sabbath school class. When her mom and dad simultaneously was, was discovering truth and um, they were dating. He didn't know how to tell his girlfriend that he was going to leave the Catholic church. And when he went to her to tell her, she said, I'm leaving too. Because God was revealing truth to them. Amen. There are people today that are that way. Some of you came from different denominations. I'm looking around the room and I can tell. I remember where some of you came from. There are people still today that are thirsting in this community. There are people today around us that are thirsting. They want something better. There are people that are tired of mundane Christianity. There are some people that are tired of entertainment Christianity. God wants to give them sub something substantial. Thus, 3ABN and the Thompsonville Church together, we are called to be substantial Christians. People that are not settling for less. People that are not settling for the fluff that often is presented as Christianity. But so much today is mere religion, a form of godliness. But there are many involved in that mere religion that want something different. Look at the comparisons that the Lord brought to me. You see, mere religion may change the way we think, but true Christianity changes the way we live. Mere religion is an attempt to make God acceptable to us. That's why people don't like God because his requirements are too tough, too tough for them, they say. But Christianity is the transaction that makes us acceptable to God. God doesn't need to be acceptable to us. We need to be acceptable to God. Mere religion gives us something to believe in, but Christianity gives us someone to believe in. Mere religion invites us to follow a creed, but Christianity demands that we follow Christ. If anyone will be my disciples, let him deny himself. It's not a suggestion. It is a demand. You want to be my follower? You've got to deny yourself. Mere religion is man's attempt to reach God, but Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Mere religion is based on a relationship with teachings about God, but Christianity is based on a relationship with God. Mere religion seeks change through information. That's why I'm, that's why I, I mean, I could, I, I love the 2300 days. I'm going to do a prophecy seminar here for those that need to understand prophecy. But my goal has been, even if it's about prophecy, Jesus has to be the first, the middle, and the last. Beasts will get you upset. All that moving water and one nation rising against the other will get you informed. But Christianity affects us not through information, but through transformation. That's why Paul the Apostle wrote to the Colossians, and he said, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. What is it, friends? The hope of glory. Colossians 1, verse 27. So when they got there, this whole situation was coming to a fruition. This whole deliverance, delivery system came to a head. The baby was coming out. The baby could not be stopped. I praise God that when Jesus is being born in us, somewhere along the way, we can't hide that baby any longer. But here's the problem, and I know some of you will understand what I'm about to read. It was our scripture reading to begin, and it's one of the scripture readings I'm going to end with. 
When Jesus is being born in you, do not be put off that the Christ in you is not being accepted by your family. Because until they have an experience with him, there is no room in them for him. Until they know him personally, there is no room in them for Christ. That's why the verse we began with is one of the verses that I wind up with. I'm inviting the praise team to come. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, embracing the Christ that God allowed her to be the delivery system to the world, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I couldn't get past this. My mind is just too imaginative. I was a very inquisitive little kid. I wanted to know how things work, and that still has spilled over into my growing up as a pastor. I could see them going from one hotel to the other, from one motel to the other, from one yotel to the other, from one resident to the other, and everybody's saying, nah, we're full for the night. No rooms available. And they come to this rude stable. And the animals say, mm, come on in. <laughs> There's room for you. Isaiah said, the ox and the donkey knows their master, yet my people know not their master. Amen. Dumb animals? No. Sometimes we're the dumb animals. I say that respectfully because I'm in the category. The dumb animals today won't do things that men who are possessed by demons would do. A dumb animal got Balaam's attention. Dumb animals got on the ark. <laughs> A dumb animal came back with a leaf in his mouth saying there's some dry land after the flood. Dumb animal. A dumb whale could swim 5,000 miles without a GPS. Salmon could swim upstream at the right time of the year and the beer could know they're coming at the right time of the year. Dumb animals? No. The God of creation will speak to us over and over through the birds that show up every day, through the squirrel that comes to our deck every day and looks inside and says, did you forget my seeds this morning? Oh, yeah, we got a squirrel that looks straight at us when we forget. He goes like this. While we're sitting at the dinner table, dumb animals know. Smart. So my challenge to you, there was no room for them, but I'm going to hit you with something that's even more deep than you're going to get. People will not make room for you because in making room for you, they'll be making room for him. So when you come to a family member and they say, I don't want your religion, they may reject you not because of you but because of him. This story is even deeper than that. Let's go to the next level. And this is amongst us. If we cannot make room for one another, we are not making room for Jesus. What am I saying? Until we can make room for everybody we worship with, we have not made room for Jesus. 
That's why Mary and Joseph are not disconnected from the story. Because they were given the responsibility. They were not turning away the Jesus in Mary. They were turning away Joseph and Mary. And people will turn us away because the Christ in us makes them inconvenient, makes them uncomfortable. But pray that the Christ in you can show them the love that he brings with him. That's why even today, my last scripture, my last scripture, what was true back then, Bob, is true today. You might say, wow, what a powerful story. But did you not know that the, that the story of Laodicea is the story of the rejection of Christ through Mary and Joseph? Do you not know that they could not find room for Jesus then and still today, Jesus is saying, could somebody find room for me? This scripture is the story of the birth of Christ. As, as an infant, he was looking for a room in a hotel, in a motel, in a place where somebody could provide him comfort. Today he's saying to our hearts, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. This is the endless story of the Christmas story. Amen, somebody. The endless story is not that Jesus wants to find a place in a manger, but he wants your heart to be his manger. He wants your worship to be his manger. He wants your marriage to be his manger. He wants your children's life to be his manger. But it will not be until you open that door. We are Laodicea. We are comfortable with religion and doctrines and Christianity. But when are we going to be comfortable with Christ? Until we are comfortable as a church with Christ, we don't have room for the people in the community because they will be inconvenient to us. Why would we want people in our church that don't like us? That's what a person who has no connection with Christ says. But when we see them the way Christ sees them, we need people in our church that don't have a connection with us. That connection will be born through the Christ in us that they will see. So canvassers keep on knocking. Personal ministries keep on going. Keep on singing at the, at the care centers. I wish the day would come that we are all knocking on somebody's door to make room for Jesus. 3ABN, keep on preaching. Keep on singing. Keep on radio. Keep on going. Because somebody is looking for something they have not yet found. My last quotation, you see, this is, this, this, this is going to get you. I'm warning you now. It's going to get you. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 19. Talking about making room for Jesus. There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God today today, I want my praise team to sing this song. And I want you to dedicate your life today to make room for Jesus. To make room for Christ. I appreciate what he did for me. But I want a deeper appreciation of what he's going to do through me. He doesn't want to just abide in our hearts. He wants our hearts to be the abiding place that people find. He's there. Hey, 
Let's go to Teville Church. Why? He's there. Let's go to that. Let's go down that, right on 149 on the left. I heard that Jesus is there. It was so good last night to hear people stand and say, when I was down and out, this church opened the door for me. When I had a need, this church provided it. Keep on doing that, brothers and sisters. But more than providing financial needs and materialistic needs, provide a heart where people can come in and sit with you and you can look at them broken as we all are and say, Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. And be patient with those that are reluctant to let him in because one day they're going to do that. So here's my appeal today. When they sing this song, please sing it. When they sing this song, and if it's your desire to end this year with this one determination, I want to make room for Jesus in me. I'm not telling you how he's going to do that, but I want you to know he did not come to make room for himself. He came to make room for us. He didn't come looking for a room in the inn. He came looking for a room in us. He was willing to settle for the worst, to offer us his best. He was willing to lay down, lie down with the lowest, that one day we may walk with the highest. He was willing to be put out so that one day we can go in. Sing this song for me. And while they're singing, let's make this church a sanctuary today of prayer. I want this place down. We're going to come down today and pray. I'm not going to hold you long. I just want to pray and say that prayer is going to be so simple this is the point Father can I open the door for you to come in I want you to be in here
us to make room in our hearts for him today. If you're watching and joining us here in Thompsonville, my challenge to you, when the Lord comes to your heart and to your life, will you open that door today? This is the hour that Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to come in and transform you, change you, bring you to the place of elevation, take you from the valley of mundane Christian living the heights of transformation and what he's done for us he wants to do for you I want to pray today loving father our heavenly God you made room in the rude forebodings the atmosphere of animals who bow their heads before their maker when your people closed the door, could we be today guilty of the same thing? At your voice, the animals are commanded, season to season, the leaves change. The earth comes forth and shows forth the praises of him. There's no place where the night skies, the speech is not heard. His voice goes throughout the earth. But where is our voice? What's being heard from us? What's coming out of our hearts? What's in our hearts? And so, Lord, I pray for this transformation to take place in the lives of our brothers and sisters here in Thompsonville, through ABM, this small little city that affects so much of the world. Begin with us. Begin with my wife and me as leaders of this church. Begin with Greg and Jill as leaders of 3ABN. May they sense that there's a Holy Spirit, a power walking through those aisles that are far greater than anything we can produce. We can't even imagine what God wants to do for us. He cannot be put on a canvas. He cannot be programmed to come off and on certain times of the day. He wants to abide in us day and night. Lord, may we be more than just people in offices, but may we be people in Christ. May you bless and sanctify all the marriages here today. That husband will find Jesus in the wife and the wife will find Jesus in the husband. And the children will find Jesus in the parents and the parents will 
instill in their children this man named Jesus. Where the singles will find Christ, although they may, by, may be by themselves, let them know that they are not by themselves. There's room and they're in for Christ. May the widow find consolation where that space is now empty. May the widower find consolation where that space is now empty. But one day, you have gone to make room for us, but it's predicated on us making room for you. And so as this year closes, let's ask the question, is there room in our hearts? Can we find the place to let him in? And I pray the answer is yes. So we thank you, we praise you, we give you glory. May this season be one where our lights shine even a little more brighter. And when people are saying Merry Christmas, they not forget that Christ is in it. And not just the gift. But the greatest gift ever given to humanity is the one that must show up in our lives. And we thank you for what you're going to do for us and what you'll do through us. Forgive us, strengthen us, and transform us, we ask. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.